0: There's nothing that our God can't do. And there's so many different emotions going on in this world right now and in each and every one of us all over the globe. Fear. Um, You're scared and you don't know what's going on. You're confused. You're angry. You might be happy one minute and sad the next. And this was such a great reminder for me that no matter what emotion or what the situation is that we're all in right now if God is at the center of it there's nothing that he can't do nothing is impossible so I hope that this speaks to you the way that it spoke to me Um, the bridge says I will believe for greater things there's no power like the power of Jesus
1: go ahead and have a seat. And as you do, just shut your eyes for a second and say, I praise you, Jesus. Let all of the air out of your lungs. God, we just invite your spirit to fill us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we are so, so glad that you're here. Welcome to North Point, whether you're here in the house right now or on uh, video, whatever. We're glad that you're here and we'd like to know that you all are here. So if you would, if you're a regular around North Point, North Point if you'd go ahead and take out your phone, uh, open up the North Point app and go to the Let's Connect tab. And just let us know that you're here. That's a really, really helpful thing. Um, if we need to get in touch with people because stuff happens, that would be great. We would like, we would love to be able to do that. And you, you can go ahead and mark that you're here for the 9:30 service or the or the. What, it's the 11 o'clock service, uh, whatever time it is. Or if you're online, we would love to be able to stay in touch with you that way as well. And if you are online, I've got a special announcement today. Um, if you're watching particularly on YouTube, there's a North Point YouTube channel. And if we get 100 subscribers, there are some benefits that we get that allow us to communicate with you just a little bit easier. It will it'll make it easier on our end. Last night we had 95 subscribers, so if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that. And if you're the hundredth subscriber, um, Chris will take you out to dinner. Capital Prime on the church. <laughs> uh, yes, um, actually, everybody, we won't we won't do that. Oh, but, that yeah, um, but. If you are the 100th, like if it comes up, if it's 99 and then you subscribe, let me know. And we'll get you a COVID Can't t-shirt because COVID can't keep us from having fun, right? Amen. Hey, um, one other thing COVID can't do, it can't stop you from giving blood next week uh why no uh, actually um the they're going to be here to collect blood there's a big need for blood there always is and um uh, if you go down in in the North Point app, if you go to the announcements there's a place that you can go to the blood drive and register for a time uh to sign up for for next week, or you can do that while you 're here next week. That would be outstanding that'd be a, a big help now is we're going to go from like ninety five YouTube subscriptions to like hundred and fifty right. Uh, cause everybody's going, Oh, can I be a hundred? Can I be a hundred? Uh, that's great. Hey, um, there is, there is, uh, just a really cool opportunity that happens every week. And if you do this at home, I hope that when we talk about the offering here about giving an offering back to God, that, that you really can just kind of take a breath and say, God, I've already done this. I've, I've given electronically. I've got that set up that happens automatically. Everything I have comes from you, and I want to worship you. I want to give back in this way if, um, if you 're not given electronically, we encourage you to do that. You can do that by texting seven seven nine seven seven and uh, and with the with the message Ncc give and that will allow you to do that really, really easily. Um, if you came prepare to give cash or write a check, there are a couple of boxes by the two doors, and you can give those on the way out that was great hey i didn't give i didn't give the quick and easy way did i if you if you don't have the North point app to to do the let's connect thing it's this if you uh, send a text to nine four zero nine zero is that right yeah uh, if you can send a text to nine four zero nine zero with the message guest Ncc that If you don't have the North Point app, that'll allow you to do that as well. Uh, It is, it's just cool to see the body of Christ coming together. Um, You know, uh, this morning, hearing y'all sing um, was just, it was real powerful for me. And to recognize that there's going to come a time without any kind of restrictions that we're going to gather around the throne of God. And sing his praises. And, uh, it's gonna be really, really cool. Let me, let me just pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that, that we can gather this morning. Um, Lord, we thank you for everybody who's here in the house, everybody who's online and, uh, and worshiping with us. Um, God, we ask that you would accept the gifts that we give this morning and that you would use them in ways that would make sense. That would further your kingdom. That would, God, that would make a difference in people's lives and would help the kingdom go forward, um, Lord. That's what we want. That we we want to honor you with our gifts, but we want them to make a difference. and And so we ask that you'd help that happen. God, we ask that you would speak to us right now that that we would really be able to clear all the junk from our minds, all the hassles, all the all the pain. Um, maybe God, that it means just giving those to you and allow in your spirit to to, uh, speak to us. Speak through Chris, speak through your word, God, in powerful ways to our deepest place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: Good morning. North Point, are we good today? Oh man, I like this. I like this. It is really good to see your face. It's really good to be in person. I love every week seeing uh, uh, just a few more people back, whether it be a little more comfortable uh, being out or maybe just summer slump is over, right? Like things are starting up and it's like, oh, wait, there's there's life happening again, right? I just love it. And if you're online with us this morning, I, I, I'm glad that you're tuning in with us. If you're watching digitally or virtually, uh, good stuff there. Super excited. Um, I, I'm a word guy. I, I don't know if we've had this conversation before. I use words a lot. Uh, And that's just true of me. It's kind of funny sometimes uh, coming from a a guy because the self-help books tell us that guys use far less words than ladies. They say that ladies use somewhere around 20,000 words a day and that guys use somewhere around 7,000 words. Some of the guys right now are like, yeah, I know. And uh, some of the ladies are like, yeah, I know. And, and, and what's interesting is that science actually tells us something different. Science says it's actually pretty equal. Uh, ladies around 16,000 a day and men around 15,000 a day. They say pastors might be up in the 40,000. I don't know if that's true or not. But um, but I'm a word guy, and what's interesting about being a word guy is that you start to recognize um, a lot of times lots of words are kind of pointless. Think about the amount of words that we hear Every day or the ways that we use words personally, I tend to over explain. Uh, Talk to my wife, she will confirm it. I just tend to over explain. Um, I'm a descriptive guy, so I'm doing the lots of descriptive detail. I'm a verbal processor, so I think out loud. And all those words that come out while I'm thinking are not necessarily um, going to be where we land or where I land in the idea, but I just I just process verbally. Anybody with me on that? Like that's kind of you too, or you're, you're married to, or, or dating someone, or have a friend that's that way, and it might drive you absolutely nuts. Um, Folks say that we hear somewhere around 100,000 words each day, and that's a number that fluctuates all over the map, but we'll just go with 100 that we hear. About a 100,000 words a day. To put that into perspective for us, if we were to do that in feet, that would be 18 miles worth of words in feet. If, if that were uh, uh, McDonald's quarter pounders, it would be 400,000 of them. That's about 200 pounds worth of $1 bills. That's the weight of about 170, 100, 715 average marathon runners. It's about 2,000 years worth of Lansing's average annual snowfall totals. Anyway, you look at it, it is a lot of words each day. And again, the funny thing is that a lot of those words just don't seem to matter much to us. If I asked you right now, uh, what were the 100,000 words that were spoken to you yesterday, Give me 50,000, 20,000, 10,000 This morning, though. we're maybe a quarter of the way to our Maybe you remember day, some so big ones, maybe but twenty-five thousand. probably would So far. If I you this, what, what of those do you remember? And my guess is that it wouldn't be very many. But every now and then, there are some words spoken to us that seem to matter. Like they get spoken, and all of a sudden, uh, our lives change. They are life-changing, literally life-changing words. Maybe it sounds like, Will you marry me? That is a life-changing words, right? Maybe it sounds like this. Hey, um, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> oh, okay. that is a life-changing words. Maybe it's, dad, dad, I got a new job. That's life-changing words. Maybe it sounds like, dad, dad, I'm moving out of the country. That's <laughs> life-changing words. Maybe it sounds like, honey, my mom's coming to live with us. Maybe it changes your life for the better, or not. Somebody just got their life changed right now, and that was amazing. Maybe those words that are life-changing sound like, um, honey, we lost the baby. Or maybe the word sounds like, hey, I hate to tell you, but it's cancer. There are some words that are just life-changing for us, while in the midst of tons of words that we hear every day, few seem to matter a ton. We're in a series right now that we're calling What I'm Learning, and we started it four weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, Phil Beavers spoke about the priorities, especially as a Christ follower and how they help us be effective as Christ followers. Last week, Jake talked about emotions. There was lots of crying. I don't know what's going on with Jake, but he was crying a lot, and that's good. Uh, on week one, I talked about a book that was uh, been transformational for me, and it's called uh, Three Words That'll Change Your Life. So that's kind of why we're, we're wrapping our heads back around this concept of words that change our lives. And, and in that book, the, the phrase, and I, you know, it's, it's not rocket science, but it's this phrase right here. If you were here four weeks ago, this is the phrase God is here. Three words that'll change your life. And in week one, also said that, like, uh, uh, there are going to be a lot of things that you might hear over these weeks that you're thinking, well, that's not very revolutionary. Like, uh, you're just getting that now, and we pay you? And the answer was, yep. uh, They may not be revolutionary for you, but they've been revolutionary for us, these things that we're looking uh, at and that we're learning. And so we're sharing them because we just think that it matters. This phrase, God is here, we talked about in week one, this word right here, God, and I just want to spend the next 20 minutes or so talking about that final word on there, which is this concept of here. We hear that phrase, God is here, and it may not seem very inspiring, but the question is, do we really live like that? Do we really live that out? That's kind of where we're going this morning. It's where we'll end in a few minutes. But do we really live like God is here, literally, right here, right now? that's That's a... uh, it's weird to say that here in church because that's where we often think God is, and, but I wish we were at a coffee shop or in your front room or your backyard or, or folks listen online, wherever you're hearing this at. Do, do you really believe that God is, is here right now every moment uh, of every day wherever you are? Do you do you really think that? Do you believe? Not just on Sundays, not just in church, but literally wherever you are, God is here. Psalm 84 has this really interesting um, passage. Uh, it says this, a little song that had been written by one of the psalmists, and he says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God jumps over to verse 10. It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. My, my soul yearns to be in the presence of God. I feel weak and incomplete when I'm not near God. My body cries out to be with God. One day near God is better than a thousand in Florida or in the UP or the all-inclusive Jamaican resort. It's easy to say that though, isn't it? But, 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 I'd rather be a doorstop. I can't think of a, of a lower, like, I'd rather be a doorstop in God's house than the high roller in a Vegas casino. The, the message of a version of the Bible in Psalm 84 puts verse 10 like this. It says, I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. And again, all that sounds nice and we're together and we're dressed nice and we washed this morning and we, you know, uh, we're very whatever. We had some breakfast. We came here. We're sitting here and, and yes, we would all agree, but when you go home, and life is real and and entertainment is there and all this good stuff of life, do we really function as if God is here? Because the truth of that is that it's true, but oftentimes we don't feel that way. We don't feel like God is here. We often feel separated from God. A a, a challenge that we have in the reality is that sin separates us from God and from experiencing God. Sin turns here into there. It often makes us feel like God is not necessarily here, but somewhere over there. Instead of the truth of God being here, we feel like God is there. Um, We experience that reality in human relationships all the time, right? Sin separates us from other people. There's a quote in the book, uh, Three Words That Will Change Your Life. It says this. It says, Because that is what sin does. Whenever we replace love with sin, it separates people. Like the force between two repelling magnets, sin pushes us apart so that the person who was once right here ends up over there. We've all had broken relationships. Whether it's friends or 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 co-workers or maybe a loved one or spouse or sibling, we've all had broken relationships, and we would probably all, if we spent some time thinking about it, be able to drive that broken relationship down to some sort of uh, sin, and not only a sin that like either either you committed or that that person, your friend committed, but just the fact that we live in a sin broken world, like sin is around it, like sin separates people. Same thing is true with God. Sin drives a wedge between us and the God who is here. And I know that probably most of you have heard that before, but not only does it do it like theologically, but it it does it like in our feeling, in our heart, how we feel, how we experience God's closeness. Here's again the quote from, from the book Three Words. It says, Sin crosses out the theme of the three words, pushing God away so that he's not here. Sins are offensive enough that God has to look away, hide his face, and ignore the very sound of our voice. Goes on to say that sin is a cosmic insult. It's a slap in the face of our Heavenly Father. It's a misuse of his name. It's thinking so little of him and so much of everything else. In, in week one, we talked about this word God, and it's all in caps because we, we often make little of God. God is much, but we forget to make much of him. And so the challenge and, and the book makes the um, the consideration, and I'm just captured by this idea, that, that one of our greatest spiritual problems is that we don't make much of God, so we got to figure out how to do that. God is much. It's not like we change his nature, but we have to re- remember that, reflect that, be reminded of that, operate in that. And so it suggests that one of the ways of doing that is finding these little this moments, these little this's these little things that pop up in our everyday life that are amazing and wonderful, wonderful and fantabulistic, and just cause our hearts to soar. Like those are just little tastes of what God is like. Little little trampolines that bounce us to who God is. And so that's a, that's a challenge because sin then separates us from God and causes us to not see these this moments. Every sin is a cosmic insult, a slap in the face to our heavenly Father. It's thinking so little of him and so much of everything else. But but I know sometimes we think, well, I'm not that bad of a person. Like, I'm not a bad guy. I'm a pretty good guy. I do some dumb things and make some mistakes, but they're not that big of a deal. Right? I'm basically uh, decent, and so my small little sins probably can't be a big deal to God. So let me just try and unpack two illustrations for you. A court date and a dinner date. So imagine, if you will, you're sitting in a courtroom... You're in the, uh, the audience section listening to this trial going on. And this trial is a trial of a, of an individual, a man, who, uh, decided on his birthday to have one too many, uh, birthday shots, uh, got into his vehicle, uh, started driving home, crossed over the center, uh, line, and head on collision another vehicle. In that other vehicle was your best friend, and that individual killed them. You're sitting in this man's trial. The facts are indisputable. We know exactly what happened in the scenario. It is exactly as I've described. But, but as the defense attorney gets up, he begins to unpack what a good guy this person is. And that he really most of the time follows the law. And this was really pretty much, in, pretty much an isolated incident. Like, he's never done other horrible things. He's he's never, you know, like stabbed someone. He's never, um, you know, kidnapped a child. He's never kicked a dog in the head. Uh, he's always paid his taxes, honestly, on time. And so because this guy has followed 99% of the laws, uh, 99% of the time, that, that he deserves to, to get off without any kind of consequence whatsoever. How do you feel? Sitting there, listening to that my my gut tells me that you feel like I would, which is like that's not fair <laughs> that's not right. I get that he's basically a good guy, that's fine, but this is not a this has to be accounted for like this is a bad thing that he did, like there has to be some kind of justice, and maybe we show some kind of grace i don't know, but it, it, it's not like he just goes scot free right. You think, Chris? That's that's a really extreme illustration. <laughs> like, that's you made me sad. Now, thanks for that jerk. But, but that's awful big. My sins don't like compare to that. I've never killed anybody. I don't drive drunk. A, okay, fair. here's a different illustration. Uh, dinner date. It's like, wash your head from the other stuff. Dinner date. You're out on a date with your uh, significant other, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, um, uh, wh- whomever, right? And and in that uh, date, you're having a good time, and you're beginning to talk, and you're unpacking some of your frustrations from your day. Like at work, you had some frustrations, some coworkers, some stuff going on, drama, blah, blah, blah. And you're unpacking it, and you're kind of venting, and you're kind of ramping up a little bit, and your, your significant other it keeps saying, oh, I'm so sorry, oh, that's really difficult. Man, I just love you so much. Oh no, you think you're, you're, so, you're really tackling this smart. No, I think you're doing the right thing. Like they're really trying to be affirming and encouraging, but really, you're, you're not really hearing any of that, you're just kind of rolling, cause you're frustrated. And as you're talking, and you're hearing their responses, you're like, I, I understand, but I'm just, I just really want these, like, coworkers to like me, I'm really just frustrated they don't understand how much I bring to the table and, and blah, blah, blah. You know the scenario, right? You've been here. And so at some point, your significant other, they, they put their hand on your hand and they go, honey, honey, that really stinks. But I just want you to know that no matter what happens at work, I love you and I'm here for you. And you look them in the eye and you say, that's that, that, fine, but it's not good enough. I want my coworkers to like me. How does the rest of that date go or that night or that week or <laughs> unless you do something to repair that comment, like it's it's not good times for you. See, it's interesting because when we when we choose sin, in essence, that's what we say to God. We say, you're not good enough. I need this other thing more, whatever that other thing might be. God, you're not enough. I understand that you you know, incredible love for me and died on the cross. But I really want this instead. Every sin is a cosmic insult to God. Uh, the, the Bible writer, Paul, he he puts it in Romans 1 like this is how he describes it. He says, For although people knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. In verse 25, it goes on and says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. They worshipped and served created things rather than... The creator, one of Jesus' closest friends, it will become Jesus' closest friend, a guy named Peter. He understood this, uh, early on in the initial encounters between Peter and Jesus. Jesus did one of like his Jesus things where he did like a little bit of miracle, showed a little bit of his power. And Peter saw that, and in Luke 5 it says this about how Peter reacted. It says, when Peter, Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And that response is a pretty common response we see in the Bible over and over again to people being exposed to God or to Jesus in powerful ways. They just, they recognize their own brokenness and sin. See, we needed someone who could repair or reconcile or put back together the separation that exists between us and God, because of sin, and we know that the answer is enter Jesus right we, we know that I hope we know that the answer to that separation between God and us, between the the here and the there, that God is here versus God is there. The answer is Jesus, He lived this perfect life of God and here. He died and he rose from the dead, he conquered death, he extended that payment for sin into our account and took care of it for us so that we are no longer, so that I am no longer, so that you are no longer responsible to pay the penalty for sin, and I'm no longer, you're no longer separated from God. Colossians 2 says it uh, this way, in verse 13 it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, he forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, and has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He canceled that charge of legal indebtedness, which separated us from experiencing God here now. Canceled that. John 14, the way that uh, John, one of Jesus' disciples, puts it, from Jesus' own mouth, it says that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Such clarity on how this separation between God and us gets fixed. It is in this relationship with Jesus Christ. And my hope, my my assumption is that uh, us sitting here or watching online, we we kind of recognize this truth. And, and, and you're thinking right now, Chris, I know that. This is like Bible 101. I saw this on the flannel graph when I was 10. Or if you're new to, to Jesus and church, and this is like a couple months in, you're like, I'm pretty sure I've heard this before. And we talk about it a lot. We understand that. The truth for Christ followers is that God is here, and he's here now. Not just in the future when I go to heaven, but literally right now. So we're still left with the problem is why doesn't it feel like that all the time? Why is it so often it doesn't feel like God is here next to me now? Well, sometimes I think it's because of of the that when we talked about God, making much of him, we talked about chasing these this moments, these little moments that kind of trampoline us to God that waken our hearts and little tastes of how good God is. But we said there's an opposite as well. There's a that. It's those horrible moments in life, those challenges, those difficulties, those frustrations. And those can also be things that drive us to God and help us picture God because we can recognize that God is not That. <laughs> So sometimes, though, the that separate us from God because we just focus on the that, and we think that somehow, I don't know, God is out to get us, or not real, or doesn't care, well, or whatever. We fill that in. So sometimes the that moments keep us separate from God. Sometimes it, it is because of sin. We know our sin. We know our heart, and oftentimes it causes us to hide. We don't have to do that because of Jesus, but it's truth, is that often we hide because of our sin, and we often hide from God. The truth is that God is present with us at every moment of every day, but we forget. Often we put too much in the feeling and not in the truth of what God says. One thing that I think, and I think it's the biggest component of why we often don't feel like God is here, is because our theological identity is kind of... Tweaked, it's kind of messed up. And what I mean by theological identity is how we view the relationship between God and us. I'm going to draw some pictures. I'm a terrible artist. We're just going to get over that, right? That's good enough. It'll be okay. So, so this is how um, uh, an explanation that helped me figure out how we view the relationship between God and us in our everyday life. If you have the North Point app, there's some fill-ins. It's probably worth doing that. If you have a piece of paper, it might be worth writing it down. This is a triangle. I feel like I always have to describe what I'm drawing. And in the triangle, we're going to just use this to represent God. Fair enough? And then we're going to put a a me or a you. We'll put fingers, right, and a little smiley or something, and I don't know, here, we'll put a hat. All right, so that's me or, or you, that's people, right, and this is God. And so the first way that we often view ourselves in terms of our relationship with God is this concept right here. We call it life from God. Life from God. And really what this says is that God exists to give me stuff. uh, To supply my needs. I I want a blessing from God. God has promised those and so that's what I want. Uh, The relationship between the person and God is really rooted around the idea of what I can get from God. Or what he can do for me or supply for me. The blessing... This this right here, this thing right here, the thing, the blessing, let's call it that, that's really the central focus of the relationship. So this person is looking at this only. That's really there. And and then that leans us, leans those people into an identity, their identity of being a consumer. So it's really all about consuming the things that I can get from God, life from God. We have another way of looking at it. We call it life for God. And it looks like this, like for God. The idea here is that people, I exist to do things for God. That's why I'm put on the planet, to do things for God. Uh, I, and I do that because I owe him. I owe God, therefore I'm going to do things for God. The relationship between God and the person here is really all about this right here, the thing that I'm doing for God. The relationship is all about the thing that I'm doing for God. That's, that's the chase. That's what we're doing. The doing, this, this action right here, whatever it might be, really good stuff, uh, really amazing stuff, really simple stuff, that's the central focus of the relationship is the doing. The doing is the central focus. And that really lands this person in an identity of, of they view themselves as a servant. I'm a servant because I have to do these things for God. There's a third way that we often look at This relationship between uh, us and God—it's the word "over." And I got to redraw here, and it looks like this. Uh oh, uh oh, I have some issues. Just hang with me on this. Sorry, that's real bad. Let's try that again. (laughs) That's. Okay, uh, life over, life over God. The relationship here between the person and God is really a relationship that's, that's, that, that, that exists for the person to figure out the right formula or rule or, um, prayer or the right thing, the right system, the right concept, uh, that then if I find that, then God has to perform for me. So if I can just figure out the right, process the right preacher the right uh church the I don't know the right system the right formula the right prayer the right model if i just figure that out then god has to perform for me the relationship is all about this over concept right here the relationship is all about finding that right button to push so that god kind of keeps his end of the bargain so my chase is to figure out what is it that if i just do that or if repeat that or look like that or whatever it might be then then God will have to do that for me doing the right thing is often the central focus of the relationship if i just do the right thing then God will if i just have the right blank then God will if i'm just the right then God will and, and your identity for this kind of a person really becomes one of a manager and and really it's control over god you're trying to manage a process so that God will do what you want him to do. All right, the last one is here. We call it from, for, over, and the last one is under. My guy's going to get a lot smaller, so I didn't leave enough room. Life under God. Life under God. And it really sounds like this. God exists to punish me if I step out of line, so I exist to not make him mad. I just obey. If I could just figure out how to obey. If I could just find all the right rules and then he will just not punish me. If I just act right and live right and do right and be right. The relationship between this person and God is all about finding the right set of boundaries. So here's the list of the things that I shouldn't do and then God won't punish me. And then here's the list of the things that I should do and then and then God will will not punish me. The central focus of this relationship is rules. It's really not getting squashed by God by finding the right rules. And the identity for this person right here, the way that they see their relationship between them and God, is one of sinner. I'm a, I'm a sinner, and that's how I exist. So the problem with all four of the approaches, from four over under, the problem with all four of them is that they miss God. The central focus becomes these other things. It's finding the right rule or getting the blessing or doing something or or not doing something, but they all miss the central focus of of God. That's the goal of the Christian life. Like that ought to be the drive and direction is God. Those other concepts, they are about God or maybe for God, but they don't drive us to God in essence they all create eventually a god is there mentality cuz we'll never find enough uh, stuff that i can get from him uh, or you can never do enough stuff for him and they, boy give give it a shot try to control god that's a funny life right there right cuz you can't get one like over him and control him and and if you live in a concept of the god's out to punish you that is a that is a theologically biblically wrong sad Discouraging existence. See, in essence, they all create eventually a God is over their mentality and drives separation between us and God. We strive to get something from God, but if He doesn't give it to us, then we wonder why He's not here. We strive to perform for God, but when a that happens, we wonder if we just didn't do enough. We strive to find the right prayer, right words, right church, whatever, but we feel distant from God. We ask, is he even real? We strive and sacrifice everything to avoid his displeasure, but it never feels like we've done enough. See, a, a better a better way of looking at this, and I think it's the right theological approach, is this right here. We'll use red. We call it life with God. And I know that that may not sound revolutionary, but my hunch is that as I'm unpacking each of the other four, you're like, oh yeah, that could be right. Oh, well, maybe that one's okay. Oh, maybe I did Life with God is a much better approach, and I think it's much more biblical and theologically accurate. It says, I exist for a relationship with God. That's why God created me, to have a relationship with him. The relationship, then, is exactly the focus. It's the relationship that's the thing that is the relationship. The central focus is God himself. Verses in the scripture that say, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. That's the heart of this. The focus is God himself. Your identity for the person that lives in this, the identity is one of a friend of God or a child of God. Jesus in the gospel says, "I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends." <laughs> Does it get much more this than I can't use the word that, so I don't know how to finish that sentence. <laughs> then <laughs> <meh>. <laughs> He calls us friends. Life with God. See, being with God is the goal, not for him or from him or over him or under him. The ability to live in this, God is here now. Not when I die and go to heaven and sin is no longer part of the picture and I don't have to sweat anything anymore, I'm just with it. Like, that's a, that's a with also, but, but there is a God is here now. And it hinges on cultivating this authentic relationship with God That reality keeps me grounded in the God is here now, every moment of everyday reality. Not just here eventually or a future hope, but literally with me here all the time. If I rewrote Psalm 84, it might sound something like, like this. How lovely is the place that you are. Oh Lord Almighty. My soul longs to be with you. In your presence. Better is one day with you in your presence than thousands anywhere else. Nothing compares with being with you. And in that withness, there is grace and peace and hope and life. Amen, North Point? You stand, we'll sing a song, and we'll be done.